Well, hey, good morning, everybody. Good to see all of you guys. If this is your first time here, my name is John Wagler. I'm part of this team and uh, grateful that you're here. And happy Mother's Day to all the moms out there or mom figures. Um, can we give it up for all the moms? Yeah. Um, just so you know, we don't uh, do to, like we don't do like Mother's Day sermon or anything like that. We just kind of continue on with our content because we also. Uh, know that those are the day to celebrate, and we will celebrate, and you guys get gifts on your way out. Um, we also realize this is an incredibly difficult day for people for a myriad of reasons, and so uh, we just kind of continue on in terms of content with where we were headed, and, uh, and so we're starting something new, actually, uh, today, which is, we were, last series was Something Happened, and this is now Something is Happening, okay, and uh, what we wanted to do was, was take a step back here, because there's something that that is, is brewing uh, in a lot of different areas of this country, including uh, right here. And um, how many of you guys um, have FOMO? Like, you're just like, man, I, when, I, when I miss out on something, like, I feel it. Like, I'm not, like, one of those people. I, I have, like, a little bit of it, but it's not, like, that big of a deal. For Lacey, it's a massive deal. Uh, she just lives in a constant state. We are eating breakfast. We were down at a conference this past week, and uh, we were uh, going to eat breakfast, and a few of our staff were at another table. There wasn't room at their table, and so we were sitting at a table right next to them. And so if, if we're facing this way, and the other table's here, and I'm sitting over here, the whole time she hears the other people and staff and she just keeps going like this. She cannot handle, she can't even, like, she can't even sit facing me because she was just like so concerned with what she was missing out on at the other table. And so there's this element of, there's this fear of missing out on things. And you know what's interesting is when the spirit moves, because the song that we just sang, sometimes we sing songs and, and, I, and, and I pause because I'm like, man, do we realize like what we're singing right now? You know, like... Sometimes, uh, how many guys have gone, you come to church, and you just sang a song, and you just kind of like went through the motions? Yeah, I've done it too, like we've all done it, right? You kind of, even sometimes when you really know the song, and like you're just kind of not in it, or you're like, mm, that's not my favorite one, so I'm not going to like really get in it, right? And, and so uh, we've all done those things, but even I was just sitting there, I was like, whoa, like, think about some of the things that we're saying in this song, and what we're asking God, the Spirit of God, to come blow on through, like, that is, like, significant, what we're saying, you know, and what we want to fixate everything on. It's, like, it's a really big deal, and it's so interesting how quickly we can, like, miss out on what we're supposed to be, like, focused on and miss out on something that is so significant. And so this next part of this series, this something is happening, that's going to be the whole premise, to not miss out. Don't overlook um, don't miss out on what God is actually doing. God's always moving. Like throughout time, God's always been moving. And he moves in so many different ways, but he's moving very specifically right now in some interesting ways. And, and it's easy to maybe uh, be a downer about life. And, I, and I'm gonna like show some things why somebody might you know, be down on, on certain things. Like for instance, this first graph that we have um, talks about a percentage of US undergraduates that are diagnosed with mental illness. And you kind of look at, if you can't see it, the first year is 2008. And it kind of moves up to the current year. But, you know, anxiety up 134% since 2010. Depression up 106% since 2010. ADHD, 72%. Bipolar, 57%. Anorexia, 100%. Schizophrenia, 67%. Substance abuse and addiction, up 33%. That's just in, like, undergrads, right? And you can look at something like that, and, and it's alarming. 
It's alarming. Now, there, I, I do believe there's some reasons for those things, but it's, it, it's alarming uh, of what's happening. Or maybe there's something like this, depression scores by gender and politics. And we see this as part of uh, it, too, is like kind of as you kind of move throughout time, you see like uh, depression scores in, increasing uh, through all ages. And you can see like there's something attached with certain elements. And, and it's like, oh, th- this is a uh, reality of what's happening in the world uh, around us. Or, or maybe something like this. It says like patriotism in 1998, 70%. 2023, 38%. Religion, 62%. Then the 39%, right? Having children, 59%. Then down to 30, right? Uh, community involvement was, is down to 27%. And then look at that. Isn't it interesting? But money is up. And so you're, you're seeing the reality of, of what the world has to offer doesn't work. Like every st- statistic we have, every data point we have, like it doesn't work. Name a cultural issue. Whatever the world offers, it doesn't work. We've got data to prove it. And it would be easy to look at all these things and be like, oh, this is the worst, or oh, man, we're, we're going straight to hell, or oh, whatever. You can, and you can do all of those things. Because there's, there's, even when you look at the church, like there's, there's more factors that go into this. I was looking at a study this week uh, about how uh, where PCA, the Presbyterian Church, I mean, if they continued their current trend, their current trend, they would be extinct in about 40 years. Um, Episcopal and Lutheran, same thing. All right, and so it's like if you, if you just, if you looked at the trends, and we could be like, whoa, this is so bad. Like, it's, it's the worst it's ever been, right? But then if you take a step back and pause for a second, you look at all of these things, and it's like, whoa, hold on. Maybe something else is actually happening. And maybe something is, is good. And maybe uh, something God's going to move in, in, in a new way. Like the mental illness stuff that we see, is that, is that good? Well, it's not good, Right? But it's really good that we're talking about it. It's really good that we're trying to help people. It's really good that we're taking different steps on what it means to care, right? It's, it's really good. Uh, is, is it good um, that denominations are failing? No, no, it's not good. But guess what? Non-denominational churches are exploding. Um, the church in Africa, in Asia, uh, Latin America, exploding like crazy. And there's something there that, that is happening like we haven't seen before in those areas. And it's like, so there's something that's actually good, right? People migrating here uh, and, and everything. And, uh, there, there are missionaries coming to America now to establish churches from, from Africa and Latin America and Asian countries. And they're establishing churches here because they see America as a fertile ground. It's good. Like, that's, that's a good thing, Right? Uh, I was reading uh, an African-American uh, uh, author this week was talking about that the next wave uh, of the church, um, there's a browning of the church that's happening. And this is a beautiful thing. That means that the, the future, the future of the church, which is the way it should be, is, is multi-ethnic, right? It's multi-ethnic communities. That's the future of the church. Is that good? It's great, Right? And so, so in the midst of some of these things that look so bad, if you pause for a second and breathe, it's like, hold on, where might God be moving? But if you don't pay attention, you're going to miss it. You're going to miss it. 
And so in this series, we want to continue to talk about where he might be moving. Um, There's a writer uh, and a theologian named uh, Phyllis Tickle. She uh, has written a lot around, um, she's no longer alive, but she wrote a lot around uh, movements of God and spiritual movements. And she talked about historically how every like 500 years or so, um, there's a massive movement. A massive one. Now there's always, again, God's always moving in pockets, but, but typically the analogy she uses uh, is like it cleans out the, the, at your attic. How many guys have cleaned out your attic? It's like top five worst things you can do, right? And, um, and you go up there and you're like, why did I think this is a good idea to keep this? You know, and you, and you know, it's all these little things like, oh gosh, and like just throw it away, right? And you realize like, man, we just keep putting stuff up there and it gets stacked up top and when you move, it is the worst of the worst, well, this is what I think happens sometimes. God starts cleaning out the attic of the church. And he's like, every, every like 500 years or so, and we're, um, the last big one, the last like massive one uh, was the Reformation, which is, you know, f- just over 500 years ago. And so, and before that was about 500 years. And so it kind of rotates in this way. And this is kind of cleaning of the attic that's happening right now, which is a good thing. Again, sometimes we look and it's like, man, things are falling apart. I'm like, no, no, no. God's moving in some powerful ways and he's moving us in this direction. It is a good thing. But you can also miss it. You can miss it. You don't want to. Because here's what we all know. Like God's always moving in, in spite of maybe what some people might be saying or thinking or, or doing. Uh, even like you see someone like this. This is Thomas Jefferson. And uh, Thomas Jefferson, 1822, uh, he said this. He was quoted as saying uh, that Christianity will be replaced by a way more enlightened religion. And that, uh, he, and that um, Jesus would no longer be uh, divine. Now, Jefferson wasn't a Christian. Like, he tore up parts of the Bible, didn't believe in the divinity of Jesus. And so, um, but, he, he, but he's a smart dude, super smart dude. And he believed that something else was going to replace Christianity. Guess what? He was wrong. Right? Very wrong. And Christianity has continued to develop and explode, and a lot of people, billions of people have become uh, believers. Um, in a time in our country where there was uh, incredible unrest in 1906, this is William Seymour, uh, who w- was part of starting uh, the Sousa Street Revival. I'll talk more about this next week. But something significant happened in California that began to spread in so many different areas of our country, and actually eventually worldwide. But uh, it started in his home. And these great acts of, of the work of God and the spirit of God moving, like just like we just sang about. Like the spirit of God began to move in such a way that like in a place where this wasn't happening, but black and brown and white people were, were coming together. Uh, men and women were, were coming together. Denominations were, were coming together. And, and did it begin to fall apart a little bit afterwards in some ways? Sure, sure. It was not a perfect thing because guess what? We're humans, Okay. But this powerful move started happening of bringing people together like we had not ever seen in our country before. And it started in this little home with some unexpected people who simply said this, spirit, would you move? Like you just sang about that. And isn't it interesting that sometimes we can sing, spirit, would you move? But we don't really expect it. We don't really expect the spirit to move. We, we like to sing it because it sounds good, but but. When the Spirit, when we were like, Spirit, would you move and open yourself up to it? Like, the Spirit can do some things. And we saw it in the Susan Street Revival. These guys, 
Uh, Lonnie Frisbee is the guy on the left. Um, uh, Chuck Smith is the guy on uh, the right. Um, Calvary Chapel and the Jesus movement is what happened when uh, this, this unlikely marriage came together of, of the hippie movement that was happening in the 60s. Some of you guys lived through this. Any, any of you guys remember this? Like you lived in it? Yeah, like this really interesting thing. I don't mean like call you out for your age, but like this, this like really interesting thing like happened that you were a part of and got to see this incredible movement. Was it perfect? No. But man, did the spirit move. Um, even when you watch the, the movie, which I actually, I highly recommend. It's a wonderful movie. But I got like choked up in the movie, like watching it, because I was like, whoa. Like watching all these people come to get baptized and the, and the way uh, the church responded, like, in particular way Chuck responded to these hippies coming into his very staunch and upright church, right? This beautiful, beautiful message. And it's like, but what happened? The spirit of God. You saw people that were on drugs, no longer on drugs. And this like incredible movement was happening. Why? Because the spirit of God began to move. And people opened it up. And it's like, whoa, this thing started spreading all throughout the country and even through Europe, right? Was it perfect? No. But man, the spirit of God moved. And there were a lot of people, guess what, during that time that missed it. They missed it. Then there was this, recently. This is just uh, a couple of months ago in Asbury University. And I've talked about this, you know, here obviously a couple of times. And that something happened. The transition to something's happening. And in this university, a student gets up and just to confess some sin and, uh, and ask for forgiveness. And, uh, and these students began to, to pray for him and and, uh, and the chapel ended, and, and then the students just decided just to keep praying. Well, a few hours later, they're still in there praying, and they're still in there singing. And, and, and eventually what ends up happening is an email goes out to the student body. It's like, hey, people are still at the chapel just praying. If you'd like to go back, it's been a few hours. And then all of a sudden it was 10 hours. And then it was 18 straight hours of singing and praying. And it's all student-led, right? And, and then it just continues on for weeks where these students... And we went down to it, but these, these students are, are leading it. Like some, some celebrities, like Christian celebrities, which I hate that that's a thing, but some Christian celebrities like came down there, some worship leaders, like, hey, we're just here to serve. And they came down there for the right reasons, right? And uh, they, they're like, we just want to serve you guys. Like, and it was like wonderful that they were doing this, but the students were like, no, 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 we're good. We're some of the most famous Christian artists we have. They're like, we're good. You can, you can pray with everybody else if you'd like. But, but we're good. They had another guy that came in that um, w was part or, or was attached to the school in some kind of way and, and came in and was like, hey, I would, I would love to, to serve with you. And, and, and here's what these students did, right? They took this older man uh, who, who could sing and, and lead worship and they took him off to the side and they're like, hey, we want to pray for you first. Essentially like consecrate you would be like the, the, the Christian word, right? We want to pray for you first before you come out there. So they prayed for him for 45 minutes before they would even let him on the stage, Right? So get this, as they're walking out, they said to him, uh, hey, do you, do you have the, the right frame of mind? And he was like, yes, yeah, yeah, I'm good, right? He starts playing after his, I think it was his first song, his two students walked over him and said, I don't think your heart's in the right place for this. And he looks at them and he goes, you're right. And he walks off the stage. How did that happen? The spirit of God was moving in such a powerful and pure way that man, there was something you can't explain, started happening in people. Some awareness started happening. Some things started happening that, that go beyond our reason. And guess what? You just sang spirit move. 
But did you have the expectancy to the Spirit to move? Right? And this is what we've got to like kind of feed into. And sometimes we, we miss out on this uh, for one reason or another. But here's what needs to happen. In order for the Spirit to move communally, there needs to be a personal renewal inside of us first. So the Spirit's not just going to come into a place like this or uh, like down at Asbury. It didn't happen because, you know, uh, oh, the Spirit just overwhelmed people without them having the, the ability to choose. What was it? It was a bunch of students at Asbury University, for instance, that opened themselves up to the reality of the Spirit moving. It was a bunch of hippies, some of them on LSD, I guess, but a bunch of hippies who, who, who opened themselves up to the reality and the truth of Jesus and the Spirit of God moving. It was a bunch of people who were uh, incredibly poor in Azusa Street. Um, they had no power or influence, but they just opened themselves up to the reality and the truth of Jesus and the Spirit of God moved. And people are still talking about it. And it begs a question for all of us that have done this faith thing. Do you want to be a part of something like that? Because things are happening. They're happening on college campuses. They're happening in so many different pockets of our country right now. It's happening. But do we want it? Do we want to open ourselves up to uh, the possibility? And so over the next uh, several weeks, we don't even know how long this is going to last yet, um, but over the next several weeks, we're going to spend some time in the book of Acts together. Uh, and so if you have not, uh, or if you're not familiar with the Bible, uh, there's an Old and New Testament. The hinge point is Jesus. And Matthew, Mark, and Luke, uh, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John are uh, the, the four Gospels that detail out the life and the teachings of Jesus. And then there's this book of Acts that was also written by Luke. Uh, that kind of details the start of the church. Um, one way to look at the book of Acts is kind of like Genesis. Something new happened. There was a, a new creation. You see that Jesus speaks the same way God spoke. You see the spirit moving in the midst of chaos in the same way it did during creation. You see a new creation, a new life, a new system that's established in the same way you did in Genesis. All right? so, so there's these elements of even in Acts chapter 1 uh, that are tying into the realities and the truth of the creative story in Genesis chapter 1. There's some links that are happening within that. That God is doing something incredibly powerful in the midst of it. Now, what's interesting about the book of, of Acts is there's so much going on. And when you look at a book like that, you can be like, oh, that's the history of the church. But here's the thing. It wasn't just the history of the church. Yes, the church started then, but it was also part of the story of Israel, the story of Abraham. Uh, it goes on for, you know, centuries and centuries before them. And so the, the start of the church was tied into something bigger. And so the history actually played into the present. But then the present, how the, how the Christians responded, played into the future of how we now have church now. And guess what? In the same way, we can look at these historical patterns and we can say, oh, that's just the history of the church. But really, our story is tied into a lot of other stories a couple of thousand years ago. And so our story isn't just about the history, it's about how it contextualizes the present, but then our response to that is what dictates what happens in the future and what we get to be a part of. So we start saying, oh, there's some weight to this whole thing, this whole church thing that we're doing here today. There's some weight to it. it it's tied into a much larger story that's incredible. You see, when the church started, it, it started in a space. 
and not like a building, um, but it started in a space, and that space was the Roman Empire. Uh, the Roman Empire was just like any other empire ever, and any empire that will ever be. Uh, the empire always wants to create uh, everyone to be in their own image. All right, that's what the empire will forever want to do. And so uh, what Rome would want to do, they would try and like um, make people essentially assimilate or else. You could be different ethnicity, and, and you could even have different religious belief. But like you need to assimilate to the way of the empire, all right? And so that's what the church actually comes into. And so um, historically, nationalism is the way that empires do all of this stuff, right? Which makes sense. We all know this. Like if you've just looked at history at all, this is the way it works. Nationalism becomes the bedrock of an empire and how they begin to do that. And so what does nationalism do? Uh, we want to rule our land, whatever that land is. Uh, we want to self-determine what we do. We want to shape our own destiny. destiny. We want to build our own identity. That's, that's what it is, essentially. And so this nationalism, nationalism gets played in within the empire and begins to begin built out. And why? It's because it's about the nationalism's power uh, and the empire's power and their, its own authority and wanting to shape however they want to shape. I mean, we sing a song, some of you guys are getting mad at this, but we're gonna, we're, we do like a Pledge of Allegiance, right? What is that? If, if you can just suspend your patriotism for just a second. I'm not even saying it's, it's bad. I'm just like, but what is, like, what is the Pledge of Allegiance doing? It's telling us to pledge our allegiance to something else besides God. I know. I know. I'm not saying anything anti-America. I'm just saying like what it, what it is. Okay? It's, it's asking us to pledge our allegiance to something else besides God. Next time you say it, you'll notice it. Is that what we should do? No. But that's what nationalism will want you to do. Why? Because you're, you're part of an empire. You're part of a larger grouping of people and wants to get in great. When you sing, and I'm proud to be an American, right? I know some of you guys are like, hold on. Hold on. Because you love when that song kicks in, right? I get it. I get it. Because you just want to pump your foot. I get it. I'm not saying it's a horrible song. I'm not. And are there some things in there that are good? I, yeah, there could be some good elements of it, of course. But just think about like what you're saying in that moment. And isn't it fascinating? I've, I've been in places where I've watched people get more pumped up and more hand-raising in that song than they do in church. What is that? Well, it's just like what we get ingrained and what we get kind of bred in to do. And so this is what empires do, y'all. This is nothing new. And the church was embedded into this. Here's what I want you to just remember about nationalism. Nationalism doesn't just want your honor and loyalty. It wants to shape your desires. And, and that's what the church was born into. Okay? Now, are there some good things? You're like, Can we love our country? Yes. We'll get to all of that stuff. Yes. Absolutely. And we should. And are some good elements? Yes. Right? But even for some of us in the room right now, you we inherently will like pull back really quick on this stuff. If you're pulling back really quick on this stuff, I would say uh, maybe you need to pause and think why. And so it's important then when we start thinking, when I want the spirit to move, then my allegiance is only to one place. All the things that want to shape my honor and loyalty and desires is to one place and one person. And that changes everything. 
and to experience it in such a way as like, man, this is just the way it works. Even in this context that the Acts was written, um, Jews and Gentiles uh, were, were, were in such great conflict. There's so much division in between them for, for different reasons. And even as the spirit begins to move and the churches begin uh, established, for Jewish folks it was really hard because the history of Judaism, including modern Judaism, is uh, people have always wanted to wipe them out. And so to now all of a sudden think, oh, this Jesus thing to a Jew is, is hard to hear. And hard to fathom and hard to kind of buy into. So you've got that piece of the pie, right? And then to a Gentile, all they've known is the Roman way. And they've got all these idols and idolatry in their lives. And so to say, oh, no, this is Jesus is Lord and Caesar is not. Man, that's a lot, right? And so you see, like, even in this, and then they didn't even get along. And so even in this story in Acts, like, I'm just describing our current state. Am I not? It's, this, it's the same story. It's the same one. And so it's like, all right, so then the church enters in. It's like, whoa, and this whole, so Jesus thing enters in. The spirit begins to move, right? Did, did, um, did the early Christians love their cities? Yes. Did they love where they were? Yes. Did they love people so well? Yes. Like all those things, yes, yes, yes. Sometimes people will ask, like they've asked me this, um, can I love America? And I was like, that's the wrong question. The, the right question is, is, can I love people like God asked me to? You will inherently love things around you. And, and you'll be like in Jeremiah when it talks about like the kind of people in Jeremiah 29, the kind of people God's people should be within a city and within a land. All right? And it begins to reshape everything. But sometimes we just get it reversed. Our allegiance gets to somewhere else first. And Jesus and the Spirit of God are, are speaking in second. Acts chapter 1, it says this. In my former book, Theophilus, I wrote about all that Jesus began to do and teach until the day he has taken up to heaven. After giving instructions through the Holy Spirit, the apostles he had chosen, after his suffering, he's presented himself to them and gave many convincing proofs that he was alive. He appeared to them over a period of 40 days and spoke about what? Say it loud. Mm. If you've been around here for any length of time, you know that this is a big deal. The kingdom of God is a big deal. This is what Jesus spoke about. This is what he fixated everything on. And here's what the kingdom of God uh, is. You look at it this way. In order to have a kingdom, you, you need a, a king, okay? It's just the way it is. That's not, are you with me? We're not, we're not, not like, right? You, you have a kingdom and you need a king. You need land and you need people. Like you, can't, like, you can't declare yourself king or queen, right? I know it's Mother's Day. And you, are, you are the queens, right? I get it. But, but if you don't have land and people and a rule of law and, like, commands and culture and ethics, like, then you don't have a kingdom, right? But it's like, all right, in order to have those things, it's like, in order to have a kingdom, like, this is what is required. Who's the king? Jesus. Good job. Right? So th this is where we pledge our allegiance to. This is what we're doing. This is the kingdom. This is the kingdom of God. It begins to change everything. Verse 4. On one occasion while he was eating with them, he gave them this command. Do not leave Jerusalem, but wait for the gift oh, gosh, that my father promised. How many of you guys love gifts? Yeah. I mean, think about this. God creator God 
offers us a gift of the Holy Spirit. And isn't it interesting, so often we're like, I don't know. I don't know. Like if I had a car for you, you'd be like, yeah. <laughs> but God offers the Holy Spirit. I'm like, mm, I don't know, that would make me change something. He gathered them around and asked him, Lord, are you this time going to go to restore the kingdom of Israel? And so even for right now, they're, they're seeing a lot. They see the resurrected Jesus. They're still a little confused, like of what's like actually happening like in, at this point. He continues on. says, he said to them, it is not for you to know the times and dates the Father has set by his own authority. How many of you guys grew up with people trying to figure out the time and date that God was going to do something? The signs and like all that stuff, right? Whenever anyone does that again, just be like, stop. <laughs> Jesus told us not to do this. And he also did it in the gospel. So when someone's like, you know what? The signs have been fulfilled and I think it's going to happen in 2024. Be like, no, you don't. Like, we don't do that. Like, we already know that part, right? We'll talk more about that in the fall. Um, but you will receive, look at this, power when the Holy Spirit comes on you. And you will be my what? In Jerusalem, in Judea, Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. Continues on in verse 9. He says, After he said this, he was taken up before their very eyes, and a cloud hid him from their sight. Just a little fun fact there. The reason um, that part's there in, in the passage is not just because that's what happened, but they were tying it into the story of Elijah, who was taken up in a cloud. All right, and so um, and when Elijah was taken up in a cloud, he was a prophet in the Old Testament. Um, part of like the cool part of that story is Elisha, who was a prophet that came after him, got this double portion. And so there's this tie-in of like, all right, Jesus goes up and guess what? Man, the Spirit of God is going to move in this unbelievable way. And who's coming next? They were looking intently up to the sky as he was going when suddenly two men dressed in white stood beside them. Men of Galilee, they said, why do you stand here looking into the, the sky? The same Jesus who has been taken from you into heaven will come back in the same way that you have seen him uh, go into heaven. It's like at this moment, these, these, these angels are going, why are you just, in the <laughs> it's your time. It's your time. And, and the same thing holds true. Sometimes we'll, it's cool, like we stand in awe of God and we, and we should. And we wait on God, which we, we should. But I think a lot of times, too, God's like, come on. It's your time. Are you willing? See, what we're going to find out, and we'll talk about this next week, is, is, is they're like, let's go. And, and they go and they wait, and they experience something. They begin to experience the reality of the Spirit of God, they, could, they become witnesses. And so in order to take this step, there's one big question that everyone has to answer in their own life, and it's this. Who has authority? I will give you uh, an answer to that question. It's not you. Who has authority? Jesus does. He even said it himself. In Matthew 28, I, he's, I, all authority has been given to me. You do not have authority. How many of y'all act like you do? But we don't. We don't have authority. Jesus does. And so this shapes 
Everything. If you want to be a witness, this is the starting point. Who has the authority? Jesus does. So I want to go through a few quick things to be a witness. It requires to be empowered by the Spirit of God to become a witness. And then what comes out of us is words, works, and unity. Then when we are empowered by the Spirit of God, we become a witness in our words, in our works, and in our unity. If those things aren't coming out of us, then we're not being empowered by the Spirit of God. You might have great charisma. You might have power and influence. You may have good practical leadership, whatever. But if words, works, and unity are not coming out of us, then we're not being empowered by the Spirit of God. So let's talk about being empowered by the Spirit of God first. What ends up happening, um, to be empowered by the Spirit of God is to, uh, it's not low commitment. It's not, um, see, low commitment, we will low impact, low influence, low resilience, low engagement, right? The Spirit of God, when we're empowered by the Spirit of God, it is, a, it is opening, our, we're, we're going, we're like, I'm all in, whatever you want to do. And it's like, this is it. Now listen, I understand that life has a way of interrupting that. Sometimes cutting it down and distracting us. I, I, we've all been there. But to be empowered by the Spirit of God and engage in this way is like, man, when we make this commitment to be a follower of Jesus, it's like, oh, the next promise is that we get empowered by the Spirit of God. Well, it comes with our surrender, with our obedience, with our engagement, with our willingness to just be like, to come and move, like we just sang. <laughs> Being willing to do that. Why? Because Jesus has all the authority. I wrote this question down. Why would we treat something empowered by the Spirit of God as optional or only engage when it's convenient? Like, why would we treat it in this way? Like, the, again, the Creator God is like, here's the Spirit of God for you to be injected into us. Why would we treat it as optional or just use or engage when it's convenient? I also wrote this down. We have settled for a version of Christianity that Jesus didn't offer. And when we look around, it's like, man, some of the issues that we begin to have, and it's like, Jesus didn't offer us consumerist Christianity. Jesus didn't offer us low commitment Christianity. Jesus didn't offer us like, hey, come in and out when you want, convenient Christianity. What Jesus offered was like, hey, if you see me as authority in your life, open yourself up to this. Um, it'll be in process. And again, spirit moving is powerful, but we're human. Like things are going to happen, right? Like we'll probably cover this at some point. At one point, Peter goes wild. Like he's, all this stuff, this crazy stuff is happening in his life and everything. And then a few chapters in, Paul's like, hey, stop being a racist. So, so some of these things happen. Like we're humans, it happens. But it's like, man, we, we open ourselves up to the reality that the Spirit of God comes with high commitment, high intensity, high surrender, high obedience. Like we're, we're in this communally. We're, we're part of this together. Our words. Our words that end up happening. We speak, we share, we become storytellers. Isn't it wonderful when you like sit with like a good storyteller? It takes something, and that storyteller, like, it, it brings into life. Well, well, through our words, 
through our words, we begin to, to speak the truth of who Jesus is. What's in our hearts comes out in our words. Jesus taught that. And so in the way that we share in our kindness with our words, in the way that we engage people that we disagree with, in the way that we're at work and how do we talk and how do we engage, in the way we lead people, it's, it's in our words we begin to see this. It's in our works, our actions, right? To, to listen, should we, love, uh, should we love America? Yes, because we love God. <laughs> so, so should we, like, you know why we love Richmond? Because this is God's place. And, and, and you're here. If you were to move uh, to uh, Iran tomorrow, guess what place you love? Iran. Because that's God's place too. And so you're in Richmond, so you love Richmond like crazy. You love Richmond like Christ would want you to love Richmond. To make a difference in this city. That's what we do together. There's unity. I know this is countercultural, but the way the world is segregation, like we just see that everywhere. But unity comes out when we're empowered by the Spirit of God and following Jesus. And so Christians don't get divided by politics. You know why? You know why? Because politics aren't the kingdom of God. So you could be sitting next to someone who voted differently than you. And you have a choice. You can be empowered by the spirit, by your words and your actions and your unity. Or you can look at them with distaste and decide to divide and be like, mm, I don't want to go to church with you. Do you think Jesus is in heaven going, good job. Way to represent my kingdom so well. You're building it. It's great. No, groaning and weeping in heaven over that. And so we begin to see that, like, man, there's something different when the Spirit of God begins to move. Lord, you can come up. So if we are a witness to Jesus, we hear it in our words, we experience it in our works, and we celebrate it in our unity. And you experience this kind of freedom. You experience the freedom personally, but then we experience it communally. It's not a freedom to do what you want. It's a freedom to experience life. It's a freedom that you, you begin to see, oh, this is like real purpose. This is real hope. I was um, hitting some golf balls on Friday. And um, these two guys next to me um, are talking, they're in their 30s probably, roughly. And they're talking about their life. And I'm, I'm, I'm like, oh man, my heart just broke for them. And their golf swings. They're actually not good golfers. But like they, but I'm, I'm listening to them talking about what they've been doing. My heart broke because what they had been doing for who knows how long was what I did in my own life at one point. And I was like, man, they don't realize how purposeless their life is. They, they're describing their fun thing that they just did. And I'm like, oh, you, you know that that's empty, right? And so I just, I sat there and I prayed and, uh, and it was like one of those moments I was like, God, would you open up an opportunity? And there wasn't. But I'm like, man, they don't see it or realize it, how empty. But this is what the Spirit of God can do in your life. 
It can bring real freedom, real hope, real purpose. But you have to determine whether or not Jesus is the authority or not. And then we become a witness to his realities. I'm asking you guys to bow your heads. We're going to sing one more song together. But I just want you to just take it in. sing about the Spirit of God again. And my hope is, is when we sing this song, the words are just going to hit a little different. And maybe our posture begins to change. Maybe instead of arms folded, it's arms open. Maybe it's singing louder. Maybe it's raising your hands. Maybe uh, maybe it's just taking it in, you know, in a deeper way, and you're not even singing. But God, my prayer for us is that um, we don't want to miss what you're doing. And then we do want to be your witness to your kingdom. And then we want to experience the freedom that we can have in you that we can't find anywhere else. And when we say the words, Holy Spirit, you are welcome here. Come and fill this place. Like The Spirit's already here. It's just whether or not we want to engage the reality of your presence. And so God, anything that's been keeping us away from that I pray that you would begin to just break that down inside of us and we experience you on a deeper level to find real hope, real purpose, and a real future. Will you stand and sing?